Opening up the weekly Peacock and Williamson mailbag, we've got questions on what we learned from mini camps around the NFL, some fantasy-related questions, trying to rank quarterbacks and wide receivers and break up some groups there, and a little pushback on our take of positional value as it pertains to the NFL draft. All that and a lot more on today's Peacock and Williamson. NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson bring you expert NFL analysis every day in less than 30 minutes. Get an inside look into the NFL on the field and in the front office. With elite breakdowns, next-level analysis, and in-depth information only for the real NFL fans. This is Peacock and Williamson, and it starts now. Welcome to the Peacock and Williamson NFL show. Brian Peacock alongside Matt Williamson at BD Peacock at Williamson NFL. That's where most of the questions are coming from on today's podcast. Thanks, everybody, for making us your first listen on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Shout out to the everydayers. Make sure you're subscribed up on YouTube and everywhere you find your podcast. Some YouTube comment questions as well on today's pod, Matt. Uh, I want to start, though, with mini camps because rookie mini camps yeah. just got out of the way and we're going to hit OTA season before teams you know, pack it up for a month and get ready for training camp. And so that's what happens at the end of May and into the beginning of June. Uh, we'll we'll start here with our our guy in eight Seahawks on Twitter who says, "Did we learn anything interesting in this rookie mini camp voluntary workout period and with any of the teams?" No, <laughs> it's a very short answer. But I wanted to talk about this because I don't think many people understand what rookie mini camp really is. I mean, I kind of equate it to college orientation. You know, like, remember you're a high school kid, bright-eyed, and you're not sure where the cafeteria is at. You know, I mean, how do I get from this class to this class? Where's the bookstore? I mean, obviously, it's a little different than that. It's football. It's the NFL. But really, rookie minicamp gets you ready for OTAs, which, as you mentioned, start next week. I'll be Steelers three days a week, which gets you ready for training camp, which gets you ready for the regular season. So things like this happen at rookie minicamp. Like, how do I work on my timing? You know, how much time do I have after my wide receiver meeting to go get treatment if I need it or get my ankles taped? When do I eat my meals? You know, how do I set up my locker even? You're even getting fitted for pads and helmets and things of that nature. But things people don't think about, and this is a big deal for those dudes that are really doing anything they possibly can to catch a coach's eye is – you need to learn how to practice at an NFL tempo. Like we can't have you flying around the field and smashing into Pat Mahomes and we get to OTAs, you know, there's a certain tempo we play with here and we're not going full bore trying to bull rush, you know, our starting center play after play after play when we're just kind of doing a, almost a walkthrough tempo here. You know what I mean? So it's important. I mean, it teaches you, this is the speed of the game at the NFL. You know, we don't need you diving in people's knees and things of that nature, too. And I'm sure people have questions, and I'm sure you can expand on it a little bit, too. But it, it kind of just teaching people how to practice and how the NFL works. It's not the same as when you're at Toledo or Utah or whatever, you know? Yeah, it's getting a quick look at your rookies, getting some tryout yeah. players in. And the tryout players are really just adding – players out there so you know if you don't draft the quarterback you got to try out some quarterbacks so they can throw to the wide receiver you did draft and so it's just getting guys together get them up to speed terminology is different you just got to get them a few practices under their belt so they don't walk it's already hard enough for a rookie and you're learning a new language with some of these teams going from whatever scheme you ran in college to whatever you ran in the nfl you know showing 
showing a tight end how to line up in line as a wide tight yeah, end for yeah. the first time in his life. And, uh, you know, so some of those really small points. So that way when OTA, OTAs do start, they, they have a little bit of an idea what they're doing. And so they're not that far behind with the rest of the veterans that they're going to be showing up and practicing with. So I think it's just, you know, getting the, getting the first things out of the way, seeing your draft picks and, and getting as many people ready to go and, and taking a look at some undrafted guys and some, uh, some tryout players as well and seeing if any of them can stick for you and, and show you something. But so, yeah, you, you can't, ahead. you're going to see, and, and the fans are so, this, this really happens throughout even OTAs and training camp. Cause you'll get beat writers that are like, Oh, rookie quarterback was six for, 14 no, passing that, and that this thing balls hit the ground. And it's like, you know, I, you know, there's some things you can tell. It's like, Oh, this guy's big and he's fast. Like th- those are things you can tell when you see a player on the field for the first time with your guys and, you know, beat riders that maybe you, you see a player on the college field, but what does it look like in the NFL? There's some things you can take away or this guy's just like more ready to play than other, other guy is. But th- when you start getting like statistics from camp or statistics from practice, then it starts to get a little bit too much, but fans are obviously starved for information, but don't get too excited because the one guy like looked great in his rookie mini camp against a, another guy. Who's not going to make the roster. Exactly. You know, like last year, I always bring back to the Steelers. I'm sitting there at OTAs, which we don't even go to rookie mini camp because nothing happens. We go to OTAs. It's like, Whoa, they got a guy in George Pickens, you know, like there's, there's obvious standouts, you know, like you said, I also think sometimes, because you'll see this week, veteran linebackers get signed here and there. Because what happens is, you know, you draft a linebacker in the fourth round. He comes to rookie minicamp. He sits through meetings. And your linebacker coach goes to your head guy, your head coach and GM and be like, that dude we drafted in the fourth round is a great kid. He's fast. He doesn't have a clue what he's doing. We might need to go get a veteran. <laughs> you know, like when you really get your hands on the players, yeah. you have better evaluation than all the scouting stuff. And boy, was that true in the recruiting world. Like when we had our 25 scholarship kids who are 18 years old arrive at Pitt the first day, that is a tense day. Every coach is like, oh man, I hope the guy I vowed for didn't put on 30 pounds and, you know, scam us. <laughs> I have no clue who he is, you know, first day away from home and, he's doing drugs or something terrible or, you know, he's just living it up. Like he's a big man on campus. Like, boy, I hope we got what we think we paid for. And we've been blowing smoke up these guys butts forever and trying to persuade him to come to pit. And they might get here and be like, I don't even want that guy. And same thing's true with like Pickens, like Larry Fitzgerald walked on campus. Like, Oh, I think he'll work. You know, you knew right away. I wonder how, how much of a wake up call it is too for, for recruits they get their butts oh. kicked all you know their their entire high school career to get them on campus and then once they get on campus the coach is like all right well now you're here so i'm going to mf you all day and <laughs> right. on your ass and like oh wait a second what happened to all the love and blowing smoke up my ass all this time yeah strength coaches aren't your best friend and you know like i hate seeing the damn strength coach or yeah. boy i missed class and now i'm carrying a log up the stadium steps at 6 a.m great you know yeah so Bottom line, you can't take much from rookie minicamp. Just don't look completely lost and, and be the guy yeah. that you thought you drafted, basically. Yeah. Again, think of it as like college orientation. You're not going to know, boy, he's a player, he's not. But there is something good for the players there. On that note, a question here from CC Ryder says, love the show. Thank you, CC. 
when teams pick up players from other leagues like the XFL, seems like those players would be too exhausted to play a whole season after just finishing one. And, you know, that is one of the tough parts of it because you just played a bunch of games. And, uh, you know, on the flip side of that, you see a lot of players in rookie minicamp. The 49ers had a guy that, you know, couldn't finish Joey, Joey Fisher. Uh, you know, I thought he was a really nice undrafted free agent for the 49ers, uh, but he couldn't finish practice. You know, he was having heat exhaustion. Mm-hmm. exhaustion. It was only 70 degrees, you know, so he just wasn't in shape probably because he was, you know, he was not a, a top pick. He wasn't on the banquet circuit necessarily, but you're, you stop playing football and you start preparing for a track meet. And then all spring long and all of a sudden you get to practice like, oh, this is football again. There's a whole different level of conditioning that if you're not ready for it, that can hit you. And you see injuries a lot in these first OTAs and camps from rookies and and injuries at the beginning of training camps because some guys just aren't ready. So you see a lot of that. And on the flip side with some of the XFL guys and Matt, our teams picked up the two best receivers in the XFL this year. Uh, Jakur Pearson. Uh, 5'7", 180 pounds, speedster the 49ers brought uh, at a tryout. And Hakeem Butler, who was you know, one of my pre-draft crushes. Oh, I love them coming out, boy. He was awesome uh, in the XFL this year, and, and the Steelers brought him in. And I believe officially it wasn't just a tryout. They officially signed him, right? Yeah, they did. They also signed a uh, XFL consensus all-pro corner. So some teams have been aggressive with these leagues. And so that's one of the things that I've t- tried to tell my listeners because Jakur Pearson looked great at rookie minicamp it's like this guy's in mid-season form he just played a season yeah. and he's just making guys look silly plus he's got like four three speed you know so he's blowing by these tryout guys and it's like well, let's calm down we'll see what he looks like in camp when other guys catch up and, and have had a chance to practice but he's like in mid-season form so the xfl guys are going to be ahead in these mini camps and otas versus some of the rookies most likely but at the end of a you know a season after playing however many games they play, it was what six eight games they played in the XFL season plus something like that. I'm not positive. Making yeah. the playoffs, we're talking twenty games, and then plus so yeah, they they could run out of gas absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't have much more to add to it, but I do think it's an interesting discussion in that maybe I mean it's not because players are lazy, but most ninety nine percent of the NFL players aren't in game shape right now. I mean, that's why you don't want to go to Miami in week one or Denver in the light air. You know, I mean, it takes playing the game 50, 60, 70 snaps a game to truly get into game shape, no matter who you are and how much you take care of yourself. And all those XFL guys are going to be in better shape. I mean, I absolutely think so. They're ready right now. It's just like a, you know, in the middle of their season. So I think that they do come in and make a better impression right now because they've been hitting, they've been tackling. I mean, they've been catching and running against, you know, 10, you know, 11 other defenders, things of that nature. And they're but not it, rookies. Like, and they're not rookies, right. They've been around the block. Yeah. Great point. But I do worry that they're probably is the equivalent of a rookie wall for those guys too. I mean, if your, your Niners receiver is a star and they love him, and all of a sudden he makes a team and he's playing regular snaps by week 12, I bet he's spent, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, next, Matt, we've got uh, some some pushback here, especially from Lions fans that we've you know been a little bit harsh on with how they utilized all of their draft picks in the 2023 NFL draft and uh, the conversation about positional value and when to go away from that and, and how much that really matters, depending on how your team is built. And it's a good question. Today's episode of PNW is brought to you by Built Bar. I know you're looking for the delicious snack. Everyone is. I always am. But you don't want all the sugar and calories. But you want it to taste good. So go find the best tasting protein bar ever built. You got to try these. Uh, we're always trying to. I'm always trying to eat healthier, make healthier snack choices. The easiest ways to get the things that are bad for you 
out of your reach, right? Get them out of your purse. Get them out of your glove box in the car. If you got a long commute, uh, get them out of your desk at work. Get them out of your pantry at home and replace it with a box of built Bars so you can get low sugar, low calorie snacks that taste amazing that are high in protein and everybody's diet probably needs more protein, whether you realize it or not. And most built Bars covered in 100% real dark chocolate, which really set them off. You got new flavors like... Uh, crispy built bars that are the brand newest right now and i'm looking at them on, on built.com we got peanut butter crispy bars we've got uh, mint chocolate crispy bars the peanut butter this the og peanut butter bar is my favorite by the way but they've got built puffs all kinds of limited flavors happening all the time and not only can you find all the flavors and varieties at built.com you can find them on store shelves at walmart and sam's club as well so pharmacy section four bar boxes at walmart and 13 bar boxes of some hit flavors at sam's club so run in and grab yourself some built bars and then thank us later and of course find them all at built.com okay matt i want to start here with joey bag of donuts and he says what's the biggest factor when a draft pick fails how much does coaching factor in how far in advance of when the public finds out the team's really kind of know what's going on i mean if i knew the answer to that question it's kind of like you know i, I would be the the gm of the year and would never miss on picks and you know i mean obviously there's a massive human element to it and it's an art not a science bringing in players i do think and I, i'm taking, kind of taking the easy way out but i believe this stronger than ever that if quarterbacks are stocks much more so than I believe 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, I care more about where they land than who they are than I did then. It's not the only factor, but like, I'm not, some of these, these quarterbacks that went to Washington, it's like, oh man, you got a tough, you know, you're not getting a lot of ownership help and you're, they're expected to save a struggling organization. And I'm not picking on the commanders, but I mean, time and time again, Dwayne Haskins, these guys go there and it's like, boy, you're swimming upstream. You know, it's not a nice nest. You know, I think that's unbelievably important because all these guys are talented. You know a lot about them. For the most part, they all work hard. You know, they all do things you and I can't do. You know, the few people on the planet can. Injuries can't be overlooked, though. I mean, the injuries these guys suffer, if you're around them is like, man, that would keep me in bed for a year, you know, and they get out there in two weeks or whatever. So I don't have that answer. It's a wonderful question. It's a multitude of things, but scheme and coaching absolutely is a factor. I mean, there's very few transcendent players that don't matter what scheme there are. You know, if you're actually something that's as delicate as quarterback and I kind of do buy the, the idea in the, the, uh, I don't remember who said it first or if anybody said it first, but basically it's like, you know, more coaches, coaches have ruined more quarterbacks than quarterbacks have ruined coaches kind of a thing. And I yeah, can absolutely yeah, yeah. see how it would be a disaster for some of these highly drafted quarterbacks with the situation they go into and their first three seasons, they got three different offense coordinators, right? And yeah. the talent's not good around them and nobody knows how to develop the quarterback. And then by, by your three, you're already damaged goods in the NFL. If you're not good. Oh yeah. You're we talked about right. this in the past. If you're a first round pick, you either, you're either worth everything. Or you're worth nothing in two or three years, right? Yeah. As far as like trade value, hundred uh, percent. I mean, quarterbacks are the best example, but it happens at all all phases. You know, if you're asking Vince Wilfork to do Aaron Donald things, it ain't going to work. You know what I mean? And uh, so, yeah, small example is when I was with the Browns, 
Butch Davis was our head coach and he came from the U and because they had so much talent at the U, their defense was pretty static. They were a four, three, you know, man coverage too high, whatever. They didn't go crazy. And he translated that to the NFL and it worked really well with the Cowboys, who had a really good team as well. But the short end of the story is we were a base four, three when I got hired with the Browns. Well, the second the Romeo got Romeo Cornell got hired after we don't want any of that stuff. We want Patriot four, three, four Vrabels and McGinnis and Wilforks. And it's like suddenly did, nobody fits. I just did 10 months of work through a different lens. And it's not like I'm going to throw all those scouting reports away, but I wasn't very interested in the Hamptons and Wilforks, you know, when you go into colleges and now that's what you're looking for. I wasted so much time. You know what I mean? Like that happens all the time. Absolutely. And look, you know, injuries, there's nothing you can do about it. And there's a right. reason that even first round picks are a coin flip as far as, you know, what you would consider a hit and a miss in the NFL. But, you know, aside from quarterbacks, it's even more difficult. Uh, if it's it's just how you're wired, I think if you're yeah. smart and tough and, and you're going to work your butt off, you're going to be a hit in the NFL at most positions. And, and mm-hmm. you know, coaching is not going to hold you back as much if you are a, a linebacker or a defensive lineman as as it would if you were potentially a quarterback and what's around you. So uh, in that regard, the number one thing is get the person, the human being right. You're probably going to be in good shape most of the time. You're right, because, of course, there's endless, endless examples of he wasn't smart enough. He didn't work hard enough. He's not mature enough. You know, doesn't like doing this. He's just doing it because he's good at it. You know, I mean, so all those things. So, hope, and obviously those are hard things to judge when you, you know, sit down for 15 minutes with him at the combine, you know. Let's see if we can go quick on this one. Okay. Cole, rank these three fantasy perspective wide receivers long-term. Amonra yeah. St. Juan, T. Higgins, Jalen Waddle. Ooh, wow, that's a good one. Um... So let me take a second to pump up my partner on, on Locked on Dynasty, Ryan McDowell. I think the best Dynasty site out there is DynastyLeagueFootball.com. And Ryan does tons and tons of work with them. I think he, you know, they have a lot of good people. So I just pulled up their wide receiver ranks for Dynasty. Not that I'm going to agree with them 100%, but Waddle is the fifth. It was, well, it was Waddle, Higgins, and St. Brown, right? Yes. Waddle is the wide receiver five in their rankings, and they have like 10 different people put their rankings in and they kind of average them all out. Higgins is seven, St. Brown's eight, (laughs) with Garrett Wilson wedged in there at six. So these guys are highly sought after, really bunched together. If I were to rank them, I would agree and go Waddle one. He's only 24, so is Higgins. St. Brown's only 23. I would have St. Brown over Higgins. So I would go Waddle, St. Brown, Higgins. But that's tough. You know, I mean, I don't think Tyreek's going to be there forever. So Waddle's role might only be expanding. Higgins is a little up in the air, though. I mean, is he always going to be second fiddle? Is he going to go to another team and not show that he's a true one? Yeah. So that's just, uh, he's a great player. These are all great players. They're all young. And I trust what St. Brown has done translates to a Keenan Allen like career. I it's it's a tough cluster to bust, so it's it a good is. question. Uh I would I would clearly have T Higgins third because he's yeah. the you know, not the top option now 
and there's not a clear path to what he's going to be. And even if he ends up another one, a, a number one option somewhere, that's probably later. And we don't know what that situation is going to be. Even though he's right, really right, right. So I put him third because we already know what the situations are and they're already really good. And I might put Amonra St. Brown over Waddle just because mm-hmm. I know what his path is to targets, but I, I wouldn't fight you with Waddle one, you know, especially knowing long-term and how young he is and, you know, how dynamically athletic he is and seems to be in a good situation coaching wise. And, you know, even getting fed with, Tyreek Hill on the same roster. So, yeah, I could see Waddle 1, Amonra 2. They're very close, but I think Higgins is easily the third out of that group just because of the the now and the future. And when I'm looking long-term, I can't – I don't know what's going on in five years, but look at a two-, three-year window, and right now you're getting a lot of value from both of the Waddle and Amonra, and there's no reason why you're not going to get as much or more in the next couple of years. Yeah, and just to kind of show what we, t- we talk about on Locked on Dynasty all the time, I mean, just to give you an example – Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase are in their own tier. They're they're one and two. They're if you like one better than the other, if you like strawberry better than chocolate, great. And then AJ Brown and CD Lamb are basically their own guys in tier two. And then it gets into this conversation: Waddle, Wilson, Higgins, St. Brown. You know, even like Tyreek, some of the older dudes. So it just kind of give you a pecking order of what you're comparing to. That that's kind of how most people view it. Am I crazy to think I would take Garrett Wilson potentially over CD Lamb? I was thinking the same thing. And frankly, Chris Olave is 10 on this list. I would have him higher too. I mean, I've seen enough after one year of both those guys and they're, they're going up this board super fast, by the way. Yeah. And if, I mean, if he hits with Rogers too, Oh man, you know, if they, He's if they 22. build or as, as you know, it might take, it might be next year more so than this year, even, but man, uh, Better quarterback play, Garrett Wilson. Yeah, give me that all day. And, you know, I like CD. We kind of know what he is. I don't think there's more there that we haven't seen yet. So I'd probably put EJ Brown in his own category there. And then maybe even Garrett Wilson with the CD Lamb group. I was thinking that too. I was like, you know, we just talked about Waddle, Higgins, St. Brown, and Wilson's in between there. I almost just said, but I would take Wilson over all of them. And I would. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Next, we've got a a similar question. Cluster Buster around quarterbacks and – we got to address some angry Detroit Lions fans as well, Matt. All right. Thanks, everybody, for making Peacock and Williamson your first listen here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Shout out to the everydayers. Matt and I continue to uh, do our thing all offseason long. We've got one more division here to finish up our post-draft reviews. That'll be tomorrow, and it is the NFC West. How are these teams building in 2023 and beyond post-draft? All that and more coming up every day. Peacock and Williamson. Matt. Quick quarterback cluster buster question here. Uh, the three quarterbacks in question, if I can find the question, which I lost. Here it is uh, from Devo <laughs> on Twitter. Start one, bench one, cut one for the rest of the career. We've got Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, and Justin Herbert. That's awful. I mean, that's really tough. That's because... even tougher than the receivers for me, probably. Yeah, me too. I mean, because there's really only one for sure, Mahomes. Maybe Allen, and then you start to run out of guys you take over any of those three in terms of what you're going to do going forward. I guess I have the most concerns. That's not even the right word. Incomplete grade on Lawrence. So I'm cutting Lawrence. I mean, if any of them happen to flop or show us negatives we don't know, maybe it's him, maybe because he's just a year younger. You know, yeah, a little more volatile, but he could right. also end up being the best after just one more season. Yeah, you know. But for right now, I probably agree with you. Just more volatile than what he could be. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I think you got to start Burrow 
because of what he has around him, how good he is, how good we know he is. And Herbert's just been a little bit more up and down, but you put him on your bench because there's that upside of what he could end up being as well. And it's a little clearer picture than Trevor Lawrence at this point. Yeah, that's the spots I would have put them in as well. This is kind of a fun game, folks. If you want to do this with running backs, linebackers, all-time greats, I mean, whatever, send us Twitter questions for next week. That could be fun. Um, I'm not, I'm a, I just said great things about Lawrence, but he really only has one year to show us compared to the others. I mean, that rookie year, holy smokes. And I'm not cutting on him at all because I think 99% of the the years he comes out, he would be the first pick in the draft, but I don't think physically he's John Elway. You know what I mean? Like I, I think there was a, he was a little overblown as a prospect. I mean, in terms of raw ability i mean it's it's great it's great it's just not boy this is generational prospect gets thrown around a little too much you know what i mean that's all i'm saying right shout out to louie he's uh frequently commenting on youtube and listens to the show every day shout out to the everydayers out there For he sure. says what does matt have in his drinking bottle during I the wish I... <laughs> on that? and the yeti so here's the system here in the williamson household is i have two of these the giant yetis and I probably should have four because they don't hit the dishwasher nearly enough because I just fill them all day. I drink an obscene amount of water. All it is in there is ice water. Sorry to burst your bubble. I, I should tell you it's, you know, Stoli's or something, but it, it, it is just ice water. Um, like everyone on their fridge, it, it tells you how many ounces when you fill up your water. So I used to chart it. I drink over a gallon of water a day and sometimes well over. Like I go through like, 30 of these a day. I mean, it, it's insane. So I just always have it around with me and I think it makes me feel better. And I just have drank yeah. a lot of water my whole life. Sorry. It's not more exciting than that. So good job. Uh, I got coffee, but it's also 9 a.m. on the West coast for me. It's noon. Right. It's lunchtime for, for Williamson over there. So. I have a cup of coffee in me that happened an hour or two ago. Yeah, right. Exactly. Okay. Uh, we got to address this one and, and shout out to Lester who commented on YouTube. And this is a, a long, long diatribe here so i'm not going to read his whole response but um he's talking about our conversation about positional value and as it pertains to the detroit lions draft and and i'll go through some of his points here he says let me try to explain the drafts and positional value when it comes to the lions specifically edge rushers okwara kaminsky uh charles harris former first round pick justin houston last year's sixth round pick with eight sacks in seven games uh pascal last year's second round pick Hutchinson, last year's first-round pick, a rookie edge rusher, won't get much playing time on this team. Um, I want to stop there. It does not matter. It does not matter. This year, you're not drafting for 2023. You're drafting from beyond. And I don't want to hear an argument that we have Charles Harris on our team, so we don't need to draft a defensive lineman. You know, so and he's a fine player. You know, he's, like that's bad process. Like that's exactly what I'm talking about here. You, you, so, um, and you, but you, another lesson in this, and I will agree with you here, Lester, is you don't want to force. Charles Harris as your draft pick in the first round, which was a bad pick, we know, because you're trying to force defensive linemen. So you don't want to do right, that. Right, right, right. And but there's a difference between you don't have to draft just defensive ends every year or just quarterbacks every year. You know, you don't have to draft one position, but it's probably smart not to draft the least valuable positions too. So there's a lot of positions in between edge rusher and running back and off ball linebacker. I'll just say that. I agree with all that. I mean, with all respect, guys, to John Kaminsky and Josh Paschal, you know, like 
that's not enough for me not to take Will Anderson. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? And like, you know, the Lions didn't have Will Anderson and plus the trade back. Yeah. And you know, that that wasn't a player on the board for them. But there were some really good players on the board. And uh he talks about a uh, wide receiver. He says maybe in is worth a first round pick, but he's a slot guy. The Lions have him on or a St. Brown. I could see Great how point. that doesn't work out, you know, roster wise. They would play very similar positions. Um and he says there was no other wide receiver with the first round grade in the draft. So I, I agree. You know, I, I don't mm-hmm. think you need to force in Jigba. I would still have taken Jigba, have two slot receivers, one Amon Ra or in Jigba. They can play outside as well. Um, just, you know, be better, more valuable than because what, what, what one of the things that you're selling Jameer Gibbs on is running back is because he can play receiver. Well, where's he going to line up? He's not going to be outside. He's not going to, yeah. you know, he's not Justin Jefferson. He's going to line up in the same place that Amonra St. Brown does or catch balls out of the backfield. So, you know, you're not, it's not much different there. If you're drafting a running back versus a, a wide receiver and those wide receivers are harder to find than the running backs. Um, he talked about um, offensive linemen and, and where they're they at. Good line, right? Yeah. Says, yeah. yeah. You know, Penny Sewell obviously was a first round pick not too long ago. They're paying a little bit of money to their other tackle, um, you know, and goes through and, and they do have a pretty good offensive line there. But the other thing I'll say is I would all day long have taken, Broderick Jones over uh, Jameer Gibbs, an offensive lineman there. Because mm-hmm. look, that way you don't have to continue to pay your expensive offensive tackle in a couple of years. And you can get better at guard now while he plays, right? And mm-hmm. if you want to get better in the running game, draft an offensive lineman, don't draft a running back because of that, especially high, right? And you and here's the thing. I would draft running backs all the time. I would draft them every year. I'd draft two a year. But they would just be on day three instead of in the first round. And so I, I wall, get what yeah. he's saying, uh, but there's too much emphasis here on what this team is right now. Uh, you think you know what your team is right now. Just wait six months. And you know what's funny, Matt? There was another video um, a couple months ago, and we were talking about the Detroit Lions, and, and we got a lot of pushback. In fact, I think it's our most popular YouTube video. And uh, there was some a bunch of Lions fans that hate-watched it and, and were commenting, especially they're mad at you, Williamson. Uh, but one of the things we talked about was their running back and linebacker position. So Lions fans, you got to figure it out because they were mad that we said we didn't like what was going on at running back and linebacker. And then the team agreed and they actually drafted those two positions in the first round. They were also like, no, but that's not the way you do it either. So uh, I think that's really funny, too. It it, it is. And I'm not saying I'm 100 percent right on this, you know, and and frankly, like you do with the Niners, like I do with the Steelers. Maybe I should look at this Lions draft with a hundred percent focus through lion's lenses and just say, who would I have taken with that pick instead of Gibbs? Who would I have taken next? You know, because there are some good points in that email that, well, we needed a tight end. We needed a nose tackle. We needed a running back. We needed a linebacker. And we have, you know, Smith and the Jigba's too, close to St. Brown and our line is in good shape. And we drafted at the end in the first round last year. And maybe for this team, it doesn't make enough sense to just draft positional value. All that being said, you got dealt wonderful cards for this draft. You know, I mean, you got a lot of aces and Kings and Queens, and I just don't think you made it pay enough financially. I mean, that's how you have to look at the stuff is the finances of it. And your example was great with Broderick Jones. Like, Taylor Decker is a good left tackle and, but they have a hold guard and Taylor Decker is 28 years old. And I don't know what his contract status is off the top of my head, but it's not going to be long before he's going to be asking for 25 million a year or whatever. 
And he's if already I can, on the books for it's it's in here, by the way. This yeah, is long. Okay. He goes into every position. Uh Taylor Decker on the books for $20 million the next couple of years. Yeah. So isn't it worth a first round pick to get I'm pulling this out of my butt, six years younger and twelve million cheaper, and maybe not lose a step and maybe even get better. You know what I mean? Like that in itself is worth a first round pick at left tackle. It's not and have them back, all, you know, and have them all play together in the meantime before the, right, the right, right, kicks right. out to tackle later, right? Protect yeah. yourself from injury at, at these uh, impact high impact positions. Uh, he talks about cornerback as well. He says the Lions were probably going to draft Witherspoon, but the Seahawks took him at five. Gonzalez will be great, but is a bit raw. Uh, not as aggressive as Aaron Glenn is looking for. Lions signed Cameron Sutton, Emmanuel Mosley, C.J. Gardner-Johnson. The cornerback number one from last season is now cornerback four. Pretty crowded room. Again, that's short-term. We've got guys on one-year deals there, yeah. uh, and it takes corners a little time anyway. So, yeah, Gonzalez is another one that was like, you know, kind of right there for you. And, and probably now that I'm looking at it and thinking about it again, it's that's probably what, you know, should have been the pick if you believe yeah, in yeah. him and, you know, maybe he's going to be a bust. And uh, I look back at the 49ers because it's the team I cover the closest. And you go back to 2017. And now it's funny because they have Christian McCaffrey, but they drafted at number three after trading down for number two, they drafted Solomon Thomas. And Christian McCaffrey had a better career. And in a vacuum, Christian McCaffrey, more valuable player than Solomon Thomas, right? And they, so they, but right, they drafted right, right. the defensive lineman. The running back was a better player and more valuable. Now they ended up getting that running back back now, and he's on their team. But when you look at, when you zoom out and you look at the philosophy of the D line, that's what's made the 49ers great. They didn't just draft one defensive lineman. That's line who they are. Oh, right. That's right. it. That process, even though they missed in that one instance and there was a running back that was worth more, and still I wouldn't have taken Christian McCaffrey. They're, you know, the, the, the Mahomes, them, them not looking at quarterback was the other thing, the even more valuable sure, position sure. group. And they're like, we don't want to start with the quarterback with this new regime. We want to build from the defensive line out. That's but their that identity. That's what they, you know. And, has yeah. made them go to back-to-back NFC championship games. Right. I mean, okay, you missed on Thomas, but and you missed on Kinlaw, but that doesn't mean – Buckner and Drake Johnson or Drake, who was the pick last year, the second rounder or uh, Drake know, Jackson. Yeah. yeah. Buckner and Armstead and Bosa, you know, it's not the process was right. That doesn't mean you're going to hit on all of them. And, and quick on the, the thing about quarterbacks and D line, sorry to jump over you again here, but no, um, if you hit on a star defensive end and you're only hitting 50% and every other year you get one, that's way more valuable than if you hit on a running back every year, hundred or Jack Campbell or, you know, right. Right. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And the Campbell picks the one I had the hardest time with, because first of all, I don't personally look at him as Roquan Smith coming out of school or, I mean, I, he's a good prospect. He's not one of the better linebacker prospects I've ever seen though, you know, so uh, where Bijan was, you know, it, it, so I just don't look at Campbell in that light, but real quick on the Lions corner room, I think it's a great point. And boy, it reminds me of my Steeler conversations because when you're so focused on one team, you say, Man, our corner room is so much better than last year. Our starter from last year is now my number four. How great is that? But none of them are Gonzalez. You know, none of them are the prototypical outside corner that might be a pro bowler. You know, there's a lot of good players, but having a star talent like that, all those dudes you mentioned, Sutton, Mosley, all the guys we you and I like as well, aren't good enough to say, I don't want a number one corner. And especially with uh, Christian Gonzalez, him falling a little bit, feels a little bit like AJ Terrell a few years ago where it's like, yeah. you know, like, oh man, what, what were we thinking? We, you know, this, this long athletic 
cornerback. You know, why did we let him fall? And then you see where he went, Bill Belichick. We're like, oh, no. And we let Bill Belichick get his hands on him. He knows how to coach <laughs> up some right, man right. corners. Exactly. So I, there's the this draft is so perfect. It's the perfect storm of this conversation because they had tons of resources, extra first-round picks, and got good football players. And one of these guys might be rookie of the year. Brian Branch might be defensive rookie of the year. And Jameer Gibbs might be offensive rookie of the year. And it looked like the Jets draft last year. And we'll get endless tweets, especially me saying, you're an idiot. Look how good their rookie class is. But there is a bigger picture here. You know, when, ta- when, when you don't have a left tackle two years from now and Taylor Decker's not there or your corner room is still, yeah, okay. You know, th- that's what you're giving up. Yeah, and in week four, when you're giving up 48 points and you score 45 on offense because you can't cover anybody on the outside, you know, that's, that's right. another thing that could happen as well, although they did get better in the second half defensively last year. Uh, I, and look, and I do want to say again, like they did draft good players and they got yeah. better and they might have drafted four stars and it might be a really good draft. But, that you know, I'm, I'm just talking process. I'm talking philosophy here more than right. more than anything else. And, and, and I do don't I don't think they got great value. And I don't think they drafted necessarily uh, a bunch of stars. And maybe they did. And I will say tight end as far as positional value goes, maybe one of the most underrated positions because of how they get paid. Right. Because if you have a star tight end, you don't have to pay them anywhere near you're paying what a star wide receiver is, and they might be just as valuable, and in some cases more valuable than some of the really highly paid wide receivers. So if Sam Laporta hits, uh, that's you know that's where you can start getting a lot of value, and then uh, Brian mm-hmm. Branch. So I like their second round a lot more than their their first round for sure. I do too. I do too. I mean, again, Campbell's my least favorite of the picks, mm-hmm. um, and really, I'm, I'm even going to throw the nose tackle in Project uh, Martin because he was an he was a third round pick too. So all your day one and two picks one of them to me should have been a high value position a thought for tomorrow it's just it's just a little bit nearsighted for me and then long term you think okay team building wise you got these really good players they're all studs at their positions well now when you do need high-end positions later you have to pay them and you have to pay them a whole bunch of money because you didn't draft them at the place that you usually draft those high value positions Mm -hmm. right they're harder to find and you're probably overpaying someone who's not a star yeah a lot of it just comes down to finances to be honest but again and this is not to say that they couldn't be great players and have a good course you look back like if they hit on those guys all gravy it's all fine and that can absolutely be the case so uh, i'm not saying they drafted four busts with their first four picks or that these players can't be good i just disagree with the process and the uh, the philosophy Mm -hmm. of of drafting a running back at 12 and an off-ball linebacker at 18 uh, when, when what they, you know, when, when there was other really good players on the board that were more valuable long-term to your franchise. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think we're on the same page there, but I appreciate the comment. Uh, thank you so much yeah, everybody, for all out. your questions, Matt and I back tomorrow. It's time to break down the NFC West and finish up our post-draft reviews right here. Peacock and Williamson.